So we got it to like 6 million ARR doing no marketing, just like spray and pray cold email with one salesperson. I'm gonna call you the $20 million man here. You went to zero to 20 million ARR in two and a half years. I was super excited and you know, my buddies I was talking to, I was like, oh, you know who Adam Robinson is? Every single one of them had the same question. Ask him how he did it. <laughs> I'm gonna call you the $20 million man here. Why? <laughs> You went to zero to 20 million ARR in two and a half years. So I was super excited. And, you know, all my buddies I was talking to, I was like, oh, I'm you know who Adam Robinson is? You know, we're, I'm talking to him tomorrow. And he's like, every single one of them had the same question. Ask him how he did it. <laughs> They're like, how do you do it? How do you do it? Like, I, we want the secrets. How did he do it? Right. And so I just want to start with you. You know, I did a little bit of homework and, it looks like you first started to scale the product, which is, you know, essentially in the Shopify app store with, it was funny videos of you and your wife, right? It was like the first yeah. kind of way you, you started to scale this thing. Like, tell me about that whole thing. So this startup was like a spin out of my last startup, which was in the MailChimp Clavio space, which is yeah. a very hard space. Um, it's like, what's crazy is, is, um, you know, these Shopify stores, they don't even realize there's a competitor or an option other than Clavio, but that space is like one of the most competitive spaces that exists in the world. Clavio's just dominated it so hard in the Shopify ecosystem. They literally have like 80% market share of Shopify stores, uh, or Shopify wow. stores that have traction, right? Like not like, you know, your grandma's selling like whatever, like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's really hard to compete with MailChimp's free product and billion dollars a year they spend on ads and Clavio with this absolute, you know, it's just a very hard land. It's like selling cola, I think. Like you might be able to sell like a niche cola, but like Coke and Pepsi have it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're not, you're not dethroning them. Uh, and you know, that's kind of frustrating. Like I got this first business to like 3 million top line, million and a half bottom line, which is fine. Sounds great to a lot of people, but like it wasn't growing, you know? And like yeah. it had this net revenue expansion dynamic, but the customer base was shrinking. So like the revenues weren't really shrinking, but the customer base was. And the problem was like, it's this weird situation where our customers were really happy, but Mm -hmm. it was impossible to acquire more of them at an economic level, if that makes sense. Like the, yeah. I could never, yeah. no matter what I did, I couldn't figure out how to get customers for this thing. And at the end of the day, like I remember Thanksgiving of 2016 when I, cause like that business kind of got to 3 million pretty quickly. Cause we figured out this one strategy to get to it. And then it just got stuck because that strategy stopped, you know, it was like, mm -hmm. uh, and I remember I was watching, I was trying to figure out how to do marketing. And I was like looking at this digital marketing, digitalmarketer.com video about basic marketing. And there's this like statement of value card that Ryan Dice was going over. And it's like, you know, blank company helps blank group of people with, you know, blank. Right. And <laughs> I couldn't come up with one reason why somebody who knew about MailChimp should use my product. <laughs> that's a problem. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's a real issue. So, um, it started this multi-year quest to try to figure out how to be different than MailChimp. You know, I tried three big things in a row. Two of them failed prolifically. Like, 
um, big things for, for a small company, right? We had six employees, yeah. right? But like there were, yeah. there were large initiatives that we like spent hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to build shit and then just it didn't work. Um, and yeah, this identity stuff, like I heard about it 18 months before we figured out how to do it. And just, you know, we had an email marketing company and I heard that there was, it was possible to get an email address from someone, even if they didn't give it to you, basically, even, even if they didn't fill out a form and that it was, yeah. yeah. So I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if I, 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 I was just like, like that's how, that. that's how I'm going to be different from MailChimp. Right. Yeah. And then I also yeah. really liked this because <laughs> there's this nuance about the email marketing space where the big vendors like MailChimp, Clavio, Active Campaign, whoever, they have to be in this self-regulatory deliverability organization called MOG because they need relationships with Gmail and Hotmail and Yahoo because if something gets really f***ed, they need somebody to call over there. Yeah, You can't be in that organization if you sell data. So I was like, oh, so this is a feature that they won't even be able to copy because you're selling data, right? Like, yeah. um, I'm like, this is great. So I'm like, I just got to figure out how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so it took, it's, it's a weird like uh, marrying of ad tech and MarTech, like the ability to be able to sort of do this, like yeah. take anonymous ad tech signals and like connect them to a profile that you have like implicit consent for. And that, that's basically the process. Yeah. Um, so took a year and a half, finally figured out how to do it. We made it a feature in the email app and people were using the identity feature, downloading the file, uploading it into Clavio or Drip at the time or whatever. And they were saying it was awesome. And like, I'd been reading a lot of Y Combinator stuff at the time. And I was like, man, this is like a really strong indicator of product market fit because people are enduring this horrible user experience and saying it's unreal. So I was like, you know, the original plan was to try to get people to use the email app with this feature. And then it was like, that's, that's not what people want. People actually want the feature and connect it to everything. And I had the business totally wrong. Like I I like thought it was, you know, it was only using third party cookies at the time we launched it, which was basically January, 2020 third party cookies were supposed to go away in the middle of 2021. I I didn't think it was legal, but I thought we were just going to like sell it to these high volume spammers. And they weren't going to care because there'd never been like a big can spam lawsuit. Like I can't even really explain how small I thought this opportunity was when we started this business. I literally thought it was going to be like make a million or two dollars, you know, more than that was how stuck I was on this last thing. Like, wow. Yeah, but it was right there. You know, we, we built it pretty fast. It ended up being like, oh, wow, there's a very strong signal coming from these people using it as a feature. I don't want to rock the boat and take anybody off the mothership that's paying the bills. So I like, so drift the chatbot, you know, app, yeah. which salespeople know about. Yeah. Like we had to get a script on people's sites and they did too. So I literally just like took this, there's this app called Snagit, Shopify for dummies. I just like snapshot all of their onboarding, self-serve onboarding script flow, changed the text. And then I got somebody on Upwork to basically like, make it into Photoshop docs. And I got like somebody else on Upwork to make the HTML and CSS. And then Tate like built the, my CTO built the backend in like eight weeks. And it was, it was so our, the first company that I started this email app, it took us 18 months to have a product that could like send an email and we could charge $1 for this one from when Tate started working on it 
to when we were running ads on Facebook, it was eight weeks. And then the wow. first month we ran ads on Facebook, it's kind of like a crazy, I still have on our retention.com YouTube page, I have all of the, the funny videos that you're talking about, but I also yeah. have the original video that I made on Upwork. Horrible quality recording of my voice. I watched the digitalmarketer.com like how to create a video sales letter <laughs> and they have a format and you just so like I put your own words in. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you put your own words in and it like agitates all this pain or whatever. And it's like kind of a wild thing. It's like, what if I told you I knew exactly who was on your website? Not only that, I could give you the email addresses of people didn't who didn't fill out forms. Would you be interested? How would you not be interested in that? Right? Like, yeah, it's fucking yeah. powerful. So we spent five grand on ads that month and made 10K MRR, which was like, if I spent five grand on ads for, for my previous company, it would have been $50 MRR. It was like very clear that there was something there. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I got to get all like the, my, my sort of a team onto this. And, you know, I kind of figured out how to get the other team in a position to where I could sell that other company. Um, and thank God we sold it for 10 million bucks, which is like amazing. And the, the whole team's still there. The acquirer loves it. Like it's just a, a really good deal. Nice. Um, and yeah, I mean, from then on it was, it's been like varying degrees of, kind of like a rocket ship ish, but you know what I mean? It's like Diana's old boss is this guy, Ross Paquette, who's got a company called Mara post. And like, he absolutely, he like did this super lean, like he, he like a few, like three or four years in, he was like, he has a SaaS company that's 30 million top line, 20 million bottom line. And he's been making like $20 million for like the last 10 years himself. Now he's doing like a roll up. Um, but he owns all the equity. Like, I didn't see many people pursuing that in SaaS. Um, and I thought it was compelling because it's like, you can't really lose. Like maybe you end up getting annoyed at some point that your company's not more valuable than it is, but like, yeah, it, it's impossible to lose if you're like paying yourself $2 million a month. Right. Like it's just, that's the reality. So yeah. I was like, this business looks like it could be one of those. So um, that was sort of the plan. Like we just kept it super lean and, didn't have an ideal customer profile really we hadn't we, we we it was a self-serve app that anybody you know we kind of kept raising the lowest price because we noticed that people who weren't willing to pay maybe like 350 dollars or like 500 dollars a month and had the appropriate amount of traffic to sort of buy leads at like 15 or 20 cents at that price like mm -hmm. they just couldn't make it work so there was like super high churn but other than that you know we thought we had publishers and then some B2B and, and like e-com, but we, we weren't just like, Oh, these big Shopify stores are the, are the thing we need to focus on. Um, that didn't happen until like two years in or something like that. So we got it to like 6 million ARR doing no marketing, just like spray and pray cold email with one salesperson, a sales assistant and one customer success person. So like we had literally like, six people working on this and, and one wow. engineer. And were, um, they, were they just using like outreach or Apollo or something like that? Like, like Diana likes to just have a team manually sending on Gmail. Really? It's just what she likes to do. Yeah. There's no analytics and she doesn't have any proof that it does better, but she just like, and I kind of think like this about the world also. She's like, if everybody else is doing it, there's no way it fucking works. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, like she just believes that deeply. So, yeah. um, so yeah, we've always just had this team in the Philippines that does the cold emailing for us. Um, 
And it's been the most like for how much it's given us. She, she spent maybe 30 minutes or an hour a week on it. Like she, it's just, we've, we've under invested in trying to make it good literally until now. I mean, yeah, uh, we, yeah. we're, we're working with this dude who is really smart. Who's like, you know, we're kind of just trying to do smarter things with this, yeah. you know, Tam yeah. or whatever that we yeah. have. Um, but yeah, it was all, you know, we'd make inboxes in in Gmail, and I was just like, "There is no way this is going to continue to work for years," you know, because yeah. like every week you'd be like, you know, somebody one of these boxes is shut down for spamming, and you have to like turn it on or whatever. Um, yeah. And it just did, you know. And like, I think the the thing that I kind of think about the world is that if your product is good enough for people to talk about then there's a lot of ways to accelerate that word of mouth. And I think cold email is one of them now. You know what I mean? It like yeah. just, yeah. just poking. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like not a, I don't see it as an educational tool anymore. I think it's literally just like kind of a notification buzzer that like reminds somebody that they want to learn more about it. Yeah. It's like but an- I don't necessarily think it's like a place where like, yeah. A lot of people book demos through there, but I guarantee you it's not the first place they heard about it. Oh, no, you know, no. it's not truly cold if they respond. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I and I think, you know, I've been talking a lot on LinkedIn about this BDR situation. Yeah, this is what I really want to get in, in, in the world. And like, I kind of just think yeah. it's like it's like not yeah. that I don't love outbound and think it's super important. I just think yeah. that anybody I just think it's hard to scale right now because of everything we're talking about. Right. Like, like, and you're like, Oh, these reps suck or whatever. But it's like, I don't know if all that it's doing is like kind of being like something that pops up on your phone, then having more North American based reps doing personalized (laughs) outreach, like isn't economically efficient. Like maybe you get a little more out of that, but like, I just think, I mean, I, I talked to a lot of people who are in my position yeah. and, you know, at best it's like, you know, we're sort of the same as we were last year, which works for us. Right. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, I, I kind of had a back and forth with, with this guy from uh, Neil from Tapcart who like, I love this dude. He walked us through all of this. I'm like, dude, like we just need our app on to work, you know, after our conversations, like I just need our app on to work better than that. Right. Like, yeah, like yeah. Th- that's not, it's not worth it. Like there's this other discussion. It's like, which I haven't started going into, which I think is like, like clearly it strikes a nerve when you say this thing that makes so much sense. It's like the demand is created somewhere else and the outbound salespeople are just capturing it now. Right. Maybe that wasn't the case two years ago. Maybe it was like halfway the case two years ago. It probably definitely wasn't the case five years ago. They were probably actually doing this. Yeah. And I think there's these exceptions, which people call me on it every fucking time. Of course, with, you know, seven figure unbudgeted tech, you know, if you're, if your sales motion is bringing somebody to a Lakers game, like I get it. Right. Yeah. But like most people's is not right. You're trying to sell yeah. some 10, 20, 30 K CV deal. And like, you know, you're sitting there banging your head against a wall because I, I know several people who have scaled that team down. I'm not saying get rid of the team, but scaled that team down substantially. Mm-hmm. And they haven't really noticed a pipeline change. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's like, 
the, the, my whole thing was like when it came to, so like the reason, and I've said this too, the reason that, you know, we had a weird ride this year. Like it was like, oh my God, we're going to be a unicorn in nine months. And then it was like, oh my God, we were actually overselling people by like several hundred percent, which made us like totally get the TAM wrong, which is currently crushing us with all of this contraction and cancellation and stuff. And we had a VP sales leader who was still trying to hit a number based upon what everybody saw was this rocket ship. And then finally he was just like, dude, I can't do this anymore. So he quits and we didn't have a CS leader either at the time. And so Diana, our CRO was like supposed to be managing 27 people. And I wasn't convinced based on what we saw in January and February, we had the right amount of people. Then everything stopped from a macro perspective. And we realized we got this TAM wrong. And I was like, man, and, and it's just like, okay, all you AEs, like you're now hunters, right? Like we, we kind of did that to them, right? It wasn't really the plan coming in. And BDR went from like spray to prey to personalization, where we give it six months of personalization. And like, it was just like a team of six was booking like one or two demos a week, right? It's just mm-hmm. so every week, I, I couldn't sit on these calls. It's like, you know, you know, BDR leader, like uh, your team booked two demos, like your target was 14. Like what, what are you going to do to hit your target next week? Like if you hear that five times in a row, it's like something is like systemically wrong with this, you know, like this is (laughs) fucked. You know what I mean? So like, so like, you know, our, our, our finance person was actually like the BDR team, even though they're not really productive, like they're, they're, they're profitable, you know, like we should keep them around. I'm like, Honestly, man, like I don't, those people, there's no way that they're not miserable sitting in that seat. There is no way. Like they're putting so much out there and getting so little back. Like, I don't care if we get an extra two demos a week or whatever. Like, I don't like our organization will have a higher level of happiness Mm -hmm. if we just go this totally other way to like, not totally inbound, but like there, here's what I think. There's like a level of throughput going on in your business at a given moment, given where the stage you're at. Like we're at 20 million ARR. People kind of like know who we like. Did a really good job, I think, creating a brand in the Shopify space. And there's just this amount that's happening based upon what we're doing in the world. Mm-hmm. And like, if you overstaff that, it feels bad. You know, it just feels like it creates unease. Like people are like, where, you know, the calendars aren't full enough. It's like, where's my next deal coming from? Am I going to hit my plan or whatever? Mm-hmm. Obviously you can't have zero people, right? But there's like a level that you can sort of staff around that existing throughput to where it's like right at this perfect point where these, these sales guys are like, dude, like if you don't buy this, like right now, I got to get another fucking call to close. Like, uh, you know what I mean? It's like they, they are so like they're so yeah flooded with activity to where they almost have a swagger about them. And they like believe so deeply in this product. You know, it's like I, I just want to that's what I want my company to be, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I was certainly willing to keep pushing had the VP sales not guy not quit. But like. I don't know. This is 90 days ago. We flipped and like, dude, we're nothing like, it's like everybody's so much happier. I don't know. Um, And then obviously with what I'm saying about it on LinkedIn, I get like a bajillion people sort of 
talking to me about, oh yeah, we did the same thing and saw the same thing. Or like, oh, we're thinking yeah. about doing this. You know, what do you think about whatever? But well, I, I um, featured that. Uh, I featured that post that you did in my newsletter. Um, yeah, I saw, thank you for that. But yeah, and I got a. Uh, to be honest, I got usually I'll get a good number of replies from each edition that goes out, but yours was definitely one of the highest amount of replies I got from that post. I think I got like, I don't know, a number and it ranged, right? Everyone was like, there was a range. There was like a couple of people were like, you don't know what you're talking about or whatever. Yeah. You know, you get some of that and then it, you get totally. And then you got, you got some other, uh, you, you got some other ones. There's like, yeah, we're actually thinking about this or we just did this. So, I uh, mean, that's, that's, that is what I think there is a, there's such a desire to create pipeline without bounds that I think people who do that as a service are crushing it, but they have super high churn organizations, but they're crushing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you yeah. like run whatever an outbound farm for people in SaaS, like you are, people are banging down your doors. Why is that? It's because of what we're talking about. They can't make it work in house. And these guys who do it as a service make these high promise, make these crazy promises. And then, you know, whatever, it doesn't work. And then they're yeah. right back to where they were before. Right. But yeah. they're crushing it. So they, if, if I say what I'm seeing, they will literally like want to, they'll fucking show up with pitchforks. Like they're like, this is so untrue, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I do this, that, the other, I book, you know, it's like, I'm booking. It's like, they cite their stats, right? It's like, yeah, I yeah. have these BDRs that we train for 30 days and then they show up with three meetings, like whatever. It's like, dude, but like you're the reason that's happening is because of what I'm saying. Yeah. People are only hiring you because they can't make this work anymore. And it's the last gasp. <laughs> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so you have that, you have th that camp that's going to, every time you say anything like this, you're going to absolutely crush you, which fair enough. I would too. Um, there's another camp of people who are absolutely right. It's like the big deal, like, you know, sort of very long game procurement of massive contracts, you know, 150 K deals that grow to a million or whatever. Like yeah. that is not what I'm talking about. Like, I don't think, you know, turning those companies into an inbound sales motion is like a smart, right? <clears throat> But I think there's not, not even that it's an inbound sales motion, just like my argument is that, you know, you cut 80% of the fat, you know, you cut, it's like an 80, 20 thing. Like you could get 80% of the productivity at 20% of people on the SDR front. So those people are also correct in saying that I'm an idiot and I don't know what I'm talking about because in their world, I do not like, I totally admittedly don't play that game. Uh, but I think that's only like 20% of people, right? Like, yeah. That's not the majority. And I think the majority is exactly what you said. It's like either we just did that or we're thinking about doing that or, you know, just tell me more, right? Like, yeah. how did you arrive at this conclusion? You know, how is it working for you? Whatever, right? Like, it's an interesting time. I just think fundamentally, like, how could you sit there and argue that there should not be less BDRs than there were two years ago, given the paradigm of email and LinkedIn and the fact no one picks up phones anymore and works from home and like all of this, right? Like, yeah, not that there should be no outbound. It's just personalized outreach from American, you know, based reps or whatever. It's like, that's not what's going to work. It's like this, you know, trying to, it's, it's trying to like get people to get on your site in any way possible. And then using, you know, web visits as a signal, job changes as a signal, close lost, you know, like using something like cross beam to like, see if, someone's progressing in the pipeline of a partner you have, like any signal that is beyond grabbing a lead from Apollo.io that is in your territory 
and emailing them mm-hmm. is like, I think where you have to start. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, those are, that's interesting. So you're looking at, you're looking at signals. You said Crossbeam was something people can look at, like job changes. I think there's like user gyms and Champ, uh, Champifier doing some stuff like that, like on the B2B SaaS space. Um, so where are you focusing at? I know you're, you're big on this founder brand, right? Like you kind of came out of nowhere on LinkedIn. You're doing the billion dollar challenge on YouTube, right? Where you're kind of documenting this stuff. So like, what's your growth strategy at this point? You've kind of seen what's not working, but where are you doubling down? So interestingly, we're about to have two totally different businesses, literally wow. completely different products. So like the D2C side, there's the D2C side, yep. which yep. is what I was trying to make this work for before. And then there's this B2B product, which the B2B, so like the D2C product, it does two things. For an e-commerce vendor, it adds emails to your email list who don't fill out a form. And then for abandoned carts, it basically like there's this huge problem out there where Apple is clamping down on Meta and Klaviyo's ability to track people. So like Klaviyo can't track somebody, then if they abandon cart, they don't know who to send the message to. And it's terrible. It's like the the Klaviyo used to be able to track for two years. Now it's seven days. So we basically solve that problem. We make it two years again. So um, that is the D2C product. And about a year ago, I mentioned we didn't have an ideal customer profile before. It was a self-serve app and, you know, we're kind of letting anybody use it. We, we're like, holy shit, these Shopify Plus stores never churn. They pay us a ton. They buy in one second and they send their friends. And the big mistake was we thought there were three tiers of Shopify Plus And we thought there were a lot of tier two guys, which were our power users, and they were actually the best by far. And there were like maybe 50 people better than them. We thought there were 5,000 people bigger than them or whatever. Right. So like that was like how the, the got the TAM wrong originally. Meanwhile, I got this guy Santos who'd been advising for a year saying he was going to join full time, finally joined his full time COO. He's like a top three, like, you know, B2B data guy in the world. If you look at this guy's what he's done, like Mm -hmm. it is literally unbelievable. Like he showed up at Apollo.io. They had been stuck at 5 million ARR for five years. He was the COO. 18 months later, they raised at 960 million from Sequoia. <laughs> now he's on your team. Now you, you got him. Now, now they raised at 1.6 billion. Yeah. So like right. this guy is my COO and he's a B2B data guy. He's, uh, he's like, man, what you're doing is valuable for B2B. And we had had some B2B people try the consumer product, the D2C product, and they were using it like the D2C companies. So like they were just taking the consumer emails and emailing them and trying to get them to book a demo just in there were tiny companies, right? Like the, only the best Shopify stores can make this work because they have product market fit and they're good at email and a bunch of other reasons, right? Yeah. Nobody on the B2B side as good as the companies that can make it work on the Shopify side has even tried it. But I had resigned to the fact that the time to value, if used that way, because that was how I was assuming people were going to use it, is just too long, right? Like who the fuck is going to, you know what I mean? It's like you buy it and then by the time you sell, you know, it was just going to be like a year until you got a dollar or something like that. Um, But he's like... Somebody, I think it's like I heard it a couple times in a week. Somebody's like, no, man, this isn't for marketing teams. Like, and we were, this is as we're going through our BDR struggle, right? Like, it's like, dude, like, 
we could hand a list of LinkedIn URLs. And if we built, if we built the tech a little bit differently on the B2B side, also page view history to a BDR. And like, Mm. if I'm asking one of these BDRs that I had, who's basically like book two demos a week or you're fired, right? Like just use the Shopify Clavia list and get contacts from Apollo or whatever they were doing. Right. If I'm like, yo, I'm going to give you LinkedIn URLs for 40% of your US based web traffic and tell you what pages they were looking at. They would be like, I want those fucking leads. Yeah. Full stop. This this isn't Shopify Shopify specific, right? This is like for- This is for B2B SaaS we're focusing on. Yeah. This is Okay. This is outside. B2B SaaS we're focusing on. And it's like the, I'll show you. It's- it's. I would love to see. Yeah. That- I mean, because you've got me intrigued. So give me, give me on the alpha, beta, you know, SATA. Yeah. So like (laughs) we, we built the technology totally different because long story short, email complicates things a lot because you have to give someone an email that's not going to blow them up. So the resolution rate drops by a huge amount, Mm -hmm. but on the B2B side, you don't have that problem because we just want LinkedIn URLs, right? Yeah. So like. We're getting like 70% to something in like 50% of those LinkedIn URLs. So this is just, this is just our website. All the URLs traffic. checked it out. I wonder if I'm on there. Isn't this unbelievable? <laughs> this is crazy. And so that is crazy. Um, yeah, Andy, let's see. You're not. Nope. I don't um, know when this is. This, this is like not, He. this is like a batch from last week or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, but this is so like I I don't even think I I don't think we should I think it's like we don't give anybody anything that doesn't have a LinkedIn URL because like that's what B2B wants, you know? Yeah. But like when it does, you can also hit the LinkedIn API and fill out the entire profile. And we could also build something where everybody's got an Apollo or like a Zoom API, right? We can make something to where we pass the LinkedIn URL just into the Apollo account. And then they enrich the rest of the profile or whatever. Yeah, you, you can do I mean? that in Apollo. Or you could do even like, I mean, you could even do another product, really, if you think about it. Where yeah, you, uh, there's there's all sorts. Of, yeah. So like reasons I'm excited about this. Yeah. Number one, when we got the inkling that this was like something that was worth pursuing, I have this guy, Alec Paul, who helps me with my LinkedIn, like he's a consultant. Oh yeah. I know Alec. Yeah. 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 So like, he's like, you know, we're basically like, I wanted to step up my game in June versus what I was doing before. And we're like, we got to figure out if we can do lead gen like B2B does on LinkedIn with D2C. So like just write better posts, try to get this motion going where it's like, write a killer post, get someone to inbound, connect you, ask them what they're interested in, and then let them get served your content for a month. And then be like, yo, do you know, do you know what we do? And by, by that time, like you're a celebrity and they're just like, I want to know about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so like yeah. trying to get that motion going for DTC. And he's like, dude, if you have a product you're selling to salespeople, he's like, we can make this absolutely rip. So yeah, I was like, cool. Well, let's stop writing about DTC and I'll start writing about what we've been going through with sales and see how that does. And so Anything like, the fir- <laughs> yeah, the first post I wrote got like 3,500 likes, <laughs> yeah. right? Which like, in like 700,000 impressions, right? Which like a post yeah. that I, my best stuff on D2C was like 30 or 40,000 impressions, right? Like yeah. just yeah. 20 times less, right? So I was like, holy shit. And then I was like, dude, let me see if I can write a few more posts that are this good. And then I wrote three more and I was like, man, I think these are good, but like, we'll see. Cause I don't know. 
right? Like, yeah, like yeah. based on what I'm writing, like, like I think these are fucking zingers, but yeah, you yeah. know, but I don't know. And then we post them and they all crush. And I was like, Oh man, this is so great. So like, yeah, that motion, like really where he works with Sam Jacobs, which is how I found him, the pavilion yeah, CEO. Yeah. And I just really liked how Sam Jacobs was presenting himself on LinkedIn. It was clear that it was real thought leadership that was working. It was building the right type of followers. Right. Yeah. Um, which I just didn't feel like what I was doing was doing that, you know, it was just, I don't know. We can go into that later, but like my previous strategy was just like not doing what I wanted it to do. What now what your strategy? Like let, let's so, go. Into- uh, so, so like the pre the pre, so like how I got started in all this is I read Dave Gerhardt's. I yeah. talked to Patrick Campbell, who you may know who like yeah, uh, is profit. Well, CEO. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, what's up with all this fucking? So like, I thought that we were going to maybe go for it. You know, I still hadn't decided yet, but I was like, what's up with all this founder brand shit? Why are people doing it? Like, blah, 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 blah. He's like, <laughs> unless you're really going for it, I don't think it's worth d- doing it. And he's like, I just have done stuff in my previous life where it's really natural for me to create all this content, which is why I was doing it. And he's like, but it's a pain in the ass for a lot of people. I mean, you got to whatever. So he's like, but Gerhardt wrote a book, read it. It's called Founder Brand. I read, I read Gerhardt's book and it's like such a crisp and clear articulation of why you would want to do it. The position yeah. I was in was I was like, man, as an entrepreneur, you know, I've been doing this shit now for 11 years or whatever, 10 years. Like uh, there, I know if I think about how I started my first company and the decisions I made along the way, like the version of me now, it crushes that person in all of the key areas. Like I know I'm so much better at, you know, getting a product out quickly pricing, like how to sell, like I can recognize who's a killer and who's not like, you know what I mean? Just, just night and day. Like I knock that person out Mike Tyson style in one punch. And I know that, right. I know that I suck at some stuff, right? Like, but I don't try, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like the stuff I suck at, like other people are doing. You know, you read this fucking book and Gerhardt's like, oh, yeah, just start, put some fucking time in your calendar, go tweet or whatever. And I'm like, I'm not going to go fucking tweet against LeBron James of tweeting, right? Like, I know that I know nothing about that game. Also, dude, like your time's valuable. You're in this position. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to do this because like, I want to get in front of your audience. You know what I mean? Like, this is like part of my strategy for this B2B thing, right? Like, yeah. And then it's like the idea that not knowing what I'm doing or in any way how to make this work, I would just start tweeting for 30 minutes a day is asinine to me. Like I just couldn't get my head around it. So I was like, no way. So then there's this company in the Shopify space called Triple Whale, who's like an analytics dashboard. They're like ProfitWell for Shopify stores. Um, I was pitching, so like I had heard about them and they grew their whole company on social pretty much organically and they they crushed. They like got to 20 million super fast. They raised some money, but like very impressive. All social and community, not a single email sent. So I was like, dude, like you got, I, I, I found the CEO through this investor and I was like, dude, like we got to 10 million ARR with six people and no marketing spend only sending email with one salesperson. You guys got to 10 million ARR quicker only using social. Like we both need to be doing both of these things. We're selling to the same people, right? So like yeah. I go in there and pitch them like this. And then I told them my concerns and their head of social was like, I think you should start on LinkedIn. There's this dearth of content creators. It's like 1% of active users or content creators or whatever. So it's like easier. It's less competitive than Twitter. The brands may not be there as much as Twitter, but the ecosystem is. 
and you'll get a following quickly because you know I'm, I'm like yeah i'm willing to do this work in public thing too which like not many people are and he's like i'll write for you which was the big thing he's like we'll just you know we'll sort of piggyback off of chase diamond's email content and then we can talk 60 percent of the time we can like talk about your business 40 percent of the time and then in the argument that he made which i thought was spot on you know we had decided to go for it and it's like the quickest way to grow a brand like people are not on social media to connect to brands they're on yeah. social media to connect to people Right. So like if you want to grow awareness for a brand, be the CEO of it and make your profile a magnet or whatever. It worked pretty well. And like, you know, the strategy was more of like get attention with memes and, you know, then have them listen to your podcast or join a newsletter or whatever. And I just I just never liked the way it felt the whole time. And I had this problem where I felt like I was not somebody who should be giving advice on email and D2C because I never sent a D2C email, right? Like it just, I wasn't the right guy to be giving, delivering the message, right? Yeah. And, and I was conflicted about this. So I like kept talking to more and more people. And then eventually this dude who ran uh, this real estate info, info guys organic named Ryan Pineda, like his organic guy or his like CMO or whatever. Yeah, no, he's called. Ryan, yeah, yeah, Ryan's awesome. yeah, he's like, he's like, dude, like you're the expert in your business. And he's like, you're making two videos a week. Try to make, three more videos, make a video every day. And he's like, if you have the right editing team, then you'd be everywhere. So I was like, all right, I'm going to just try to make a video a day of like me working in public. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm going to like try to find an editor who could get it everywhere, but I'm going to first see if I can do that. I tried that and like, it was fine. But like my problem with it was I knew that I didn't know what I was doing, you know, and people were saying they were watching him and saying that they liked him or whatever. But like, I just knew that I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. And it was super <laughs> expensive to like line up this team, you know, to like yeah. do it all or whatever. And then finally in June, I was like, I really want to learn how to like do this. I want to be perceived like Sam Jacobs on LinkedIn, not some dude throwing memes up, you know, like, and so I hit Alec up. He's like, I got to drop a client, but I'll take you like your vision or whatever. Started writing, you know, sort of better thought leadership stuff on the DTC side. And it did better, I think, than what I was doing before. I killed the daily videos because I was just like, I'm not sure what these are doing for me, really. Right. Like yeah, it's yeah. building a fan base, I guess, but like the reach wasn't good or whatever. And then he's like, dude, if there's a chance you're going to sell this, I'm like, I think we're going to go push forward with this B2B product. And now I know, like I see these LinkedIn URLs are coming. I'm like this, people are going to think this is unbelievable. You know, like 40% yeah. of the US traffic too. So it's like, we start writing for sales and it's like, wow, like this can really be an amazing inbound lead gen thing. And by the way, why do I think it's working? It's like, I think I'm, I'm hitting a nerve with this BDR thing that like is people either have, it's like you said, they're like feeling it or like they're thinking about it or like whatever. And also I'm the right guy to be giving this message. Like if Alec wrote the same words that I was writing, they wouldn't rip because he's not the guy with the 20 million AR startup working in public who just like had to go through his VP sales quitting on him and whacked his fucking sales force. Yeah. Like that's, market uh, fit, right? it's that's- like, yeah, it's like, it's like the author to audience on platform fit with this space. So, so yeah. And then I love Chris Walker. Like, I think this guy is a fucking genius master at what he is doing. He's I saying just, he's one of my best friends. I just he, he's saying he's night. saying he, he probably I'm sure he knows what I who I am at this point because I'm oh, kind of dra- drafting yeah. off of some of this shit. But yeah. like he's one of the he, guys that was like, how did he do it? I want to know how he did. Yeah. It. So like he yeah. is a ninja master at saying 
like two to four things over and over again. And every time you hear it, you're like, yeah, man, that's <laughs> fucking new idea. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. like, yeah. and then and you think yeah. about it, you're like, wait, that's literally what he told me yesterday and two <laughs> weeks ago and a month ago. But he's got this way of saying it to where you're like, it seems revelatory every time. Right. And I love the fact that like, I'm, I think this video thing is way more powerful than people realize. I just believe that deeply. Like if you can get people like this fucking lot. So like, anyway, I've been trying to like, my whole goal was to eventually be this kind of Chris Walker playbook, but for D to C. And now it's like Chris Walker playbook, but for salespeople, it works a lot better, you know? And for this first time I, I made a video asset, like he sort of does. I did it three days ago. It crushed. It's like amazing. It got, you know, it's not as good as the all text posts because they get deprioritized. It got 8,500 minutes viewed, (laughs) you know, on like a, on like a two minute video. Can you imagine that? Like, what if you're putting out like two or three of those a week and you have people listening to you for 25,000 minutes, right? Like, I don't even know what the implications of that are, but like there's something it will help me in ways that I don't even know exist. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. like every single day I hear, I feel like I know you because I read your LinkedIn posts every single day from a total fucking stranger. I literally think the way this B2B thing is going, I literally think that's going to be 80% of the, you know, it's like, we'll like in the same way, like we'll do cold email, but like people will hear about it originally from LinkedIn. For yeah. Sure. I mean, LinkedIn is so like, if we get into this, I've been on LinkedIn a couple of years. That's how I met Chris, right? Like it's so underrated. I like, I, I don't even know how to explain it to people. Like the fact that you can post a video like that and get like a hundred thousand views is just insane to me. We won't get into it's that. It's crazy. It, it's, but it's, <laughs> you know, like, and like you look at who is engaging and commenting and they're the right people. It's like revenue leaders at, B2B SaaS guys, you know, it's fucking awesome. And they're super engaged in it, you know, and these dickheads who have these agencies that tell me I am an idiot and don't know what I'm doing, but yeah, they're fine too. Cause they make the post go better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, <laughs> here's the thing. Everyone's like so worried. So founder brand's a big thing, right? And like quite a, we could get really into this and I think people are leaving a lot of money on the table by not hiring a ghostwriter or something to help them do this. Right. Because if you're, if you're B2B, like you need to be on LinkedIn. I think that's the the one thing everyone can agree on that's done it and you don't know until you do it. Right. Right. Um, but the next yeah, thing, and is- by the way, like even with the ghostwriter, I noticed there was like an uptick in awareness in my status when I was walking around trade shows and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like now this is something very different. I'm really interested to see what happens. Like, if I keep, you know, like I'm sure everywhere Chris Walker goes, people are like, oh my God, like whatever. It, it kind of in this, in this world, right? Like if he goes yeah, to like yeah. a marketing conference, he's like, whatever. And, and I imagine the same thing will happen if I put video out a few times a week and like, I keep building this audience, you know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And people will make the mistake. I think the big mistake that people are making here is they're like, well, I want to do LinkedIn and I want to do Twitter and I want to do TikTok and I want to do this. And, and I'm like, dude, just do one yes. and get really freaking good at it. Like, they're like, you're in B2B, just do one, right? And yes. everyone's trying to go to Twitter. And I see you getting active on Twitter and I want to ask you about it. Like, how's that going? Yeah, like, so. Waters or like, what, what's going on there? 
there's the pro- the fundamental issue like LinkedIn is set up really well to do that actual lead gen motion that I described to you. Like yeah. write these yeah. huge posts, you get inbound connection requests, you accept the ones who are ICP, you do like a, you start that you, you can, a- after a while, these guys can get it to where it's a robot but they just need every single branch of the tree. Mm-hmm. And like people are growing their, in- Sam Jacobs' entire business is LinkedIn also. And it's just yeah. writing these big posts. He gets inbound demand from revenue leaders. And then there's a sort of warm up in the beginning. They get his content for two months and then they think he's a celebrity and he has all the answers to all their questions and they join Pavilion. That's the motion, right? So like that, I don't think works for Shopify founders. They're just not on LinkedIn in that way. Revenue leaders are for sure. They're on it all day, right? They're prospecting people. They're looking people up, whatever. The Shopify founders are on Twitter, but Twitter is not set up to do that. It's, it, you know what I mean? It, it's not set up to sell in that way. Yeah. So a couple months ago, I went from not tweeting at all to like, you know, trying, we got a ghostwriter for Twitter and just trying to like muck it up. And then like, before I started writing these sales LinkedIn posts, I was actually myself spending half an hour a day going through this list of 30 people and engaging with their stuff every day, which was kind of brutal. I hate being, you know, it's like, I don't like what social media does to my brain. Everybody (laughs) feels this way. Yeah. Yeah. But but like, it's weird because writing doesn't do that. Writing does the opposite. It makes me, it it makes me feel creative. Like when I write something that I know is hot, like it's so satisfying. Like, like I come out of it with this creative bliss, right? Whereas like you come out of engaging with people on Twitter for 30 minutes and you have this, like this, you have the, the frenetic social media FOMO, you know, scatterbrain, whatever. So I didn't like doing it. And once I started seeing these beat to be post hit, I was like, this is not what I'm going to spend my time doing. We still had the, go- I think we, I think we stopped using the ghostwriter on like October 1st. I think Alex is going to like repurpose some of my best LinkedIn content and put it on Twitter. But the intention yeah. was before like this B2B thing is relatively new, you know, three months ago, I didn't even know we were, it was a thing yeah, that we were going to pursue. So I was like, the LinkedIn thing is working for me on DTC to the extent that the ecosystem investors and potential employees definitely know who I am. I'm nowhere in Twitter, which is like where the actual brand who are on social media are spending most of their time. So that was the intention there. I'm way less motivated now that my founder brand stuff will be so much more effective on the B2B side. We're going to do something. So like I have this docuseries I'm I'm making. Check out my LinkedIn page. It's called Billion Dollar Challenge. It's like a really high quality, you know, it looks like Netflix or something. And they're just kind of following me around when I travel. And they're they're trying to show the lifestyle of being in the middle of this shit show. I think it's good shit. Every, a lot of people tell me it's good. Um, there's a new episode dropping in a couple of weeks. They're going to do 10 in a row every week, 10 minutes. And there's there's 10 up already. So my problem with the D2C side is that I don't feel like we have anyone at our company who can create content that's worth a sh- to any D2C person we're trying. Why would anyone listen to us about anything other than how mm-hmm. to expand the audience of abandoned carts, which is not enough to talk about. No one cares, right? Mm-hmm. So like the other weird thing about creating D2C content is that there's two podcasts that dominate. It's Nick Sharma and Moise's Limited Supply and one's called Operators Only. None of these e-com guys want a SaaS vendor on their podcast. Like it's very strange. Like they, and it's like, I can't even tell my entrepreneur story and get in that 
way to their audiences because they don't they, they, they'll so like the people the only guy Nick and Moyes will have on is the president of True Classic Tees who's the fastest growing Shopify store that's it I mean and guys like him maybe they'll have somebody on from Dr. Squatch or zero interest in having SaaS people on their podcast so it's like what are we going to do to compete with these guys the yeah. thing that I'm trying to do like we're doing all these cool small events which is what we crush with like a New York city pizza tour with like all these pizza restaurants you can't get into or whatever. We do this stuff all the time. I want an invite to this one, man. Yeah. We don't document it well. <laughs> and up until now, it's been really effective for us just being like, Hey, person who knows brands, I'll throw you a couple grand, get me 10 brands. Doesn't matter who they are. So long as they're like above a couple million in revenue, it needs to shift to here's our account list of 350 people. We need 10 of these at the pizza tour or maybe eight and two current customers. Right? So like our whole content and marketing effort, we're going to attempt to flip to creating FOMO about these small events and creating the perception that we're everywhere and they're going on all the time. And that like yeah. this shit we're doing in the physical world is like the coolest stuff there is. And we're going to interview these influencer types when we're at these events and try to broadcast DDC content that they're saying off of their channels with our brand on. This is the pipe dream, right? Cause like I can't, nobody can write a blog post about like how, how to optimize conversion rates on a landing page or whatever. So like, this is going to be the attempt. Let's just make sizzle reel type content, trying to create FOMO to help us get people to these things and then use all these influencer social channels to blast that out. That's going to be the DDC wow. play now. Cool. I mean, We'll see, dude. Like, it, yeah. it sounds good. We're literally here on it right now. Yeah, well, I I have a feeling you can deliver, man. So I yeah, well, well, the so like, there's a couple things that make this TV show cool. I think one is the actual quality of the the, the like the guy we have shooting the footage shoots in a really cool way. He's just yeah. got like a lot of motion and like he. he he just can capture things like really well. And the editor is great. And then the girl, there's a girl, Christy, who does the story. So she's like pulling storylines out over the course of however long. The guy who shoots the video is a full-time employee. So like my thought is we can easily use him for this DC side too. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do a part two, man. <laughs> yeah. Is, I'm happy to. Yeah. Let's do a part two because we can get suit. I want to get like, there's so many other things I want to like tactics stuff that I'm working through that we can just jam on and we can record. Yeah. All right, man. Well, Adam, dude, it's been real. We'll talk yeah. soon. Part two. Sounds great. We'll schedule. We'll, we'll get this going, man. I'm excited, dude. This will be awesome. Fun. Well, thanks for having right. me on, Andy. Yeah, of course, man. I'll talk Bye. to you soon. Later.